Welcome to TV7 Israel's podcast. We invite you to listen and share our latest content from Israel and the region. On December the 31st, 2019, a local municipal health commission in China's Hubei province reported a cluster of cases of pneumonia. Merely three months later, the World Health Organization proclaimed the novel coronavirus, a global pandemic, a historic turning point which effectively accelerated strategic ambitions by major geopolitical actors. While the Biden administration seized power in Washington two years following the first reported cases of the so-called COVID-19 on January 20, 2021, China hurriedly informed its American counterparts merely two months after assuming office that it regards the United States a pure nation, effectively proclaiming an era of strategic competition. Meanwhile, on the 21st of February of this year, Russia, which for a long time aspires to force a separation between Europe and its transatlantic allies, launched a deliberate military invasion into Ukraine, believing it could overrun its western neighbor within just several days. To Moscow's dismay, however, western reliance or resilience, led predominantly by Britain, the European Commission and the United States, has forced the Kremlin to contend with a war of attrition which is expected to persist deep into the looming winter. Good evening, I'm Jonathan Hassan, and welcome to the 11th edition of TV7 Europa Stands. As part of today's discussion, we will aim to dissect Europe's list of challenges, whether European leaders have managed to learn from past mistakes and hopefully instill some much-aspired optimism ahead of a stormy winter. To do so, we're joined by General Klaus Naumann, who is the former Chief of General Staff of the Bundeswehr and Chairman of NATO's Military Committee. Thank you for joining us, Thank you. General. Dr. Rafael Bardachi, the CEO of Worldwide Strategy and uh, Spain's former National Security Advisor. Thank, Thank you, you for having me. Indeed. Colonel Richard Kemp, a former British field commander and head of the International Counterterrorism Intelligence Team at the British Cabinet Office. Thank Professor you. Uri Rosenthal, who is the former Minister of Foreign Affairs of the Kingdom of the Netherlands, and Professor Václav Klaus, who is the former President of the Czech Republic. Thank you for joining us as well, Thank sir. Thank you. General Klaus, we'll start with you as usual. Where are we standing currently? What is the most significant issue that we should focus on from your perspective in today's program? From my perspective, the most significant issue is that our governments are forced to grapple with a couple of issues simultaneously, and most of them are focused on handling one crisis. But now we have a couple of crises of different nature at the same time. Uh, the positive thing which I want to stress at this very moment is that so far, despite all the challenges, Europe as such managed to stick together and the transatlantic alliance managed to stick together and even got stronger with the prospect of Sweden and Finland joining NATO. Against many odds indeed, Dr. Baradachi. Well, I think uh, the, the, problem, the essential problem I see nowadays is that the governments 
are based are basing their uh, policies in the experience in the, of the past, and maybe we are facing something new that they are not taking into consideration. General Nauman mentioned the, the NATO and the, the surprising cohesive answer to Russian moves, but nobody is paying attention to the economics that everyone is blaming the invasion, but the, the problems of the economics were well before. No? And I think there are mega trends really getting together <coughs> the war, the inflation, uh, the fiscal policies, immigration, the China-US Cold War emerging. More than just two, too many to tackle at the same time by government, which seems to be incapable of. Indeed. Colonel Kemp? Of course, we have no complications in British politics at the moment. Everything is straightforward. But, so uh, <laughs> but um, I, I would say that in, in orders of priority, the, the greatest threat we face now and in the long term is the threat of China. And Britain has just um, declared recently China to be an international threat to our country, which wasn't the case before in a formal basis. Um, and secondly, and perhaps the most immediate problem remains Ukraine. I think few would disagree that that's a huge challenge for us. And then I think, you know, maybe at least as much as Ukraine, or Russia rather, uh, is Iran and the Iranian nuclear weapon system, that Iran is on the cusp of acquiring a nuclear weapons capability, which I think doesn't just threaten the Middle East, but threatens the whole world. Professor Rosenthal? Well, today, at this moment, of course, all emphasis is on Ukraine-Russian war. But in Washington, there is a proverb, they call it ROW, rowing, rest of the world. And I agree with the fact that it's not only Ukraine, Russia, but it's also China Pacific and the security problems there. That's one. Secondly, endorsing the, the uh, remarks by General Nauman, uh, we, are with, we are in a, in a state which we call polio crisis compounded crises. And my worry is with the overload of crises all getting to the minds of the political leaders in Europe who have also, who are also, you know, they, they can handle one crisis, but they are now under so much pressure with all these crises together, you know, that it's really cumbersome and worrisome. Professor Klaus? Well, I agree with what was said here, but from the Czech perspective or the Central European perspective, I would stress three, three points. Energy crisis, definitely number one issue for the people of my country and the neighboring countries, and um, I hope we will return to Absolutely. the topic. Second point is the Ukraine war. And the Czech Republic, not many people know it, but the, the number of, of uh, people coming from, from Ukraine is the highest in the, mm -hmm. in the Czech Republic per capita in the whole world. So this is second biggest issue. And someone mentioned inflation. I, I wouldn't dare to, to mention that mm -hmm. issue, but 55 years ago, I wrote my doctoral dissertation on inflation. So this is my topic for my whole life. So I consider the current inflation as the very serious issue 
destroying the our the stability of our countries mm. those three points absolutely well let's start with the first topic and that is uh, Europe from a transatlantic uh, aspect uh, we're talking of course about the relations between continental Europe Great Britain the United States Canada uh, ultimately in three days time from today's uh, broadcast uh, midterm elections General Nauman how is this going to impact Europe well, the midterm elections will be a crucial point. Um, we will then see whether the Biden presidency, which tried to revitalize the transatlantic relationship, will be just an intermission, or whether the Trump days will come back with all the dangers to transatlantic cohesion and uh, with the demand on Europe to do more, to protect its own security, and at the same time to be a helpful agent in United States competition with China, which is looming over the horizon. Dr. Baradaki? Well, I think I agree entirely with General Nauman. No, I think the midterm election will mark a trend towards the presidential election in, in, in two years now. Uh, but uh, as European, we should be prepared for any change in the White House, no? And I think uh, taking responsibility for our own fate is something that we have been demanding and asking for decades already. <coughs> so we have to spend more in our defense because it has to be done. No? Having said that, I'm more skeptical on the unity of the continent, even within NATO. I think NATO did well in preserving the security as is mandated by the Atlantic Chart, within our own soil, no? the borders. But it was totally incapable of preventing the attack in Ukraine and totally incapable of preventing what's going on in, in Ukraine nowadays. No? So I think, um, yes, we were united, but ineffective to some extent. And that has to change. Colonel Kemp? I think the, in, in, in answer directly to your question about the midterms, I think the effect in Europe is going to be relatively limited. The major effect of, of, let's say, of the uh, Republican Party taking greater control or taking control of one or both houses is going to be domestic policy. I think in, in terms of international policy, both Republicans and Democrats are pretty much aligned, I think, on most of the major issues. Obviously, there are, there are variations. And I believe that, um, if anything, the, the, the Republicans are likely to place in further U.S. spending on the Ukraine war under greater scrutiny, that might be a bit of a challenge. Interesting. I agree, I agree with this last remark about uh, spending on the part of the U.S. And um, I should say that when I'm talking midterm elections in the United States, I do understand that uh, President Biden made his speech on the democracy as such and the, the way in which uh, in the Republic, on the Republican side there are all kinds of questions about, again, the outcome of these elections. A positive point actually worldwide is that in Brazil, Bolsonaro, after all, did more or less concede his defeat. But I'm very worried about the situation of the democratic um, uh, culture in the United States at this very moment and for the two years to come. President Klaus? 
Well, first I would like to say, as a non-politician already, after almost 30 years in politics, I dare to say that the United States, the U.S. needs a change. In my eyes, the Biden's presidency is, is a disaster. But on the other hand, I, I don't expect that the midterm elections will make a fundamental change in, in U.S. politics. Nevertheless, I, I wish United States to become great again, to use this, this, uh, this phrase, because they are not now. Well, at least they're not perceived as such. I, I'd like to uh, mention a quote from an article Dr. Baradahi actually wrote uh, earlier last month, uh, in which he, he said, the following in the jungle, there is a basic principle of behavior, the weak fuel aggression. I repeat, in the case, uh, it wasn't clear. It is the weak, not the strong, that drive predators to eat them. Uh, the fort uh, usually attacks in the best conditions. Why take a chance with other uh, another more or less equal if there are weaklings, naive or young ones, unable to defend themselves adequately? It is not the law of least effort. It is the law of minimal risk. Uh, this obviously uh, brings into question, was this one of the triggers that drove the Chinese to challenge the Biden administration merely two months after taking office and the fact that the Russians invaded into uh, the, the, their Western neighbor was that out of perception that the umbrella of European security is not necessarily in the strongest state of play, General Nauman? From my perspective, uh, President Putin miscalculated the situation. Uh, he believed that uh, NATO would be would react as usual by talking and not much action. He hoped that the European Union would not show the cohesion it had shown, and he targeted uh, some countries which had made terrible mistakes, like my own, by becoming so dependent on Russian energy supplies that they appeared to be weaklings in the hand of Russia. This all turned out to be a miscalculation. And in addition to that, he miscalculated the capabilities of the Russian armed forces. Their invasion plan really turned out to be a blunder. And I think the entire world is surprised by the capability of Ukraine to resist and to fight, of course, with substantial support by a couple of NATO countries, first of all, and uh, the United States of America. Dr. Bardaki? Yes, I think uh, I agree. Putin miscalculated uh, because he, he was probably misinformed about their own capability of this army and about the reaction by the, the US and, uh, and the Europeans. No? Uh, but I think uh, I refer my thesis, no? uh, when you are in front of a weak actor, uh, it brings you the incentive to for attack, you know. And in the case of China, it is clear, you no, know, they perceived the Biden administration as a weak administration, uh, but now they perceive Russia also as a very weak country. So they may be wetting their mouth to, to for something bigger, you no, know, than we may may forecast nowadays, you no. Know? Colonel, I think the situation that we've been talking about. Um, in, in some ways reflects the, the vital need for deterrence, which Europe and the US has been lacking. 
and it's possible that had the deterrence, had our our projection of our strength and capability and will to resist been stronger, that might have deterred Putin. But I think if you look at the events in Afghanistan, for example, what happened there, that must have been a great encouragement for him when President Biden decided to abandon Afghanistan. Uh, I, I suspect that had President Trump been president of the United States uh, in the early part of this year, Biden, uh, Putin would not have invaded because he was too predictable. I think President uh, Putin rightly identified weakness in Biden and that in, in many ways that's an encouragement. They say that uh, deterrence um, you know, prevents an attack and, and weakness encourages attack and I think that's what we saw. Indeed. Professor Rosenthal? The uh, miscalculations of, uh, on the part of President Putin have been numerous and uh, I, I consider what he has done a march of folly. That's one. Secondly, if I look at the global scene, I would say that uh, Putin actually gave a huge present to Xi Jinping. Putin is not an equal partner anymore in that relationship, but he is simply a puppet by now uh, in the Chinese hands. And I can add to that that uh, from the Chinese side, there are very strong and straightforward warnings to Mr. Putin not to go for any kind of nuclear adventure. Indeed. General Cla uh, The President question, Klaus. Jonathan, your original question started with China and the debate moved to Russia. So what is it what you expected? Nevertheless, there is no doubt, using different terminology, that Russia made a tragic mistake, or Putin made a tragic mistake when it allowed itself to be dragged into this war. Miscalculation, mistake, or how, how to call it. Definitely, Russia cannot win it. Russia can only lose the war. Another thing is whether Russia was provoked for many, many years, especially starting in 2014. That's another issue for, for a debate. Nevertheless, it doesn't justify Russia's behavior. And it doesn't, uh, it cannot excuse the mistake. Russia did a tragic mistake, but, but I would like to say that the West and especially the US should start looking for a peaceful solution, not for accelerating the sending of, of weapons. And uh, without that, there can't be a, any peaceful solution. To, to add debate about China is a different story for me a little bit. Indeed. It's clear that China doesn't support fully Putin in this respect. That's evident and visible for everyone. Well, uh, last month, actually, General Nauman had a, a speech in front of the small group, and I'd like to uh, point something that you said, and if I may quote, uh, I'm one of those who, after the great exertion of the Cold War, sincerely hope that a Europe could be built in which treaties and agreements could ban war, violent border changes, and renewed arms races. This hope rested on the Helsinki Final Act and led to the agreements, such as the 1990 Paris Charter, the 94 Budapest Accords, 
in which Ukraine gave up its nuclear weapons against guarantees, including from Russia, of its territorial integrity and on the NATO-Russia Act, uh, which you, of course, were uh, an active member of uh, the negotiating team. Uh, however, the hope of achieving a zone of security and peace from Vancouver to uh, Vladivostok was not fiction, nor was the policy of the Tenta based on NATO's harmful approach to security and dialogue a mistake. Uh, can you give us a little bit of an understanding to what degree is Europe at this stage um, forced to deal with a reality in which it cannot necessarily rely on umbrellas of sorts, uh, including, as we see, uh, you know, a case study, Ukraine, which gave up its own nuclear weapons for the sake of Western guarantees, including those of Russia? <laughs> Well, I think the one point which we all have to keep in mind, uh, it doesn't make sense to rely on any promises or assurances given by a war criminal like Putin. Um, there is no way to negotiate with him and to trust him. And if we just concede on the side of us in the West, one square meter to be given to Russia as a result of this war, we give up the principle that borders cannot be changed by the use of force. And that was the security guarantee after World War II, after the Cold War. And if we want to return to that, we have to understand that there is but one way to protect ourselves, and that is to be capable to defend and to protect our people. And if we want to do that, we have to take the people with us. Our politicians have to take the people with us. And there I come back to the first remarks of President Klaus when he stated how difficult the situation is for the spoiled consumers who in, enjoyed energy security, safe currency, and all these goodies which we had achieved in the past 20 years. Now to take them with them and to, to tell them in order to protect you, you have to be prepared to make sacrifices, to, to renounce of some of the goodies. That, I think, is a big challenge. And if we don't succeed in doing that, we risk that democracy might be at risk. Well, the war is entering into the winter. Dr. Bardaki, do you see this disrupting the unity within uh, European cohesion at a time when uh, energy prices are soaring and they continue to do so despite relentless efforts by the European commissions and the nation states at large. Once again, we talk about the European reaction to the invasion of Ukraine. Actually, when you look at nation by nation, there are different reactions no? and, uh, in, a, in a big scale from Germany to the UK or to Spain. So it's not so homogeneous as we tend to believe or to portray. Second, the energy crisis is accelerated by the war, but it was before we had been defunding coal and nuclear energy for decades in favor of green renewables, which are not ready to serve the, the needs of the country. So it's, it's the blame has to be shared no, by our mistakes and, 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 and the acuteness now of the, of the Russian gas uh, cut off. But having said that, I think uh, we need to clarify what we want out of this picture of the of Ukraine invasion. We said, okay, we don't want to lose the principle of uh, moving borders by force, but what about Crimea? Are we really looking for taking Crimea out of the Russian hands after doing nothing for 10 years? 
I mean, I think that, that that question has not been posed yet into the European leaders because we are too short-sighted and we are too tactical and we are moving in the crisis just on, on, on a daily basis, basically. You know? Indeed, uh, Colonel Kemp, I'd, I'd like to hear your uh, thoughts on this as well. Uh, the, the climate uh, um, envoy of the United States traveled uh, to the United Kingdom as well as to Germany and elsewhere uh, ahead of COP uh, that is going to be taken, uh, taking place in, in Egypt. Uh, and uh, upon return, there was a big discussion about the fact that uh, Britain is doing everything to reach zero emissions uh, from uh, a global warming perspective. But at the same time, uh, then the United States followed up by praising uh, an Eastern European country, uh, particularly Poland, for uh, opening three nuclear reactors, which are then uh, built upon American market base. So uh, is there a paradox when interests are at play at a time like this? Yeah, I think, <clears throat> I think the first point I'd make before I answer that is uh, we, should have, we should be careful of being complacent about our reaction to Ukraine, because let's not forget, we, we haven't fought in Ukraine I think, you know, we've, we've obviously done a great deal in economic terms and sanctions and in providing arms to Ukraine and intelligence, crucially. But we haven't fought in Ukraine. And I think I, think I, I would be very careful about thinking that the, the success, if you call it that, of NATO and European countries in relation to the Ukraine war is any indication that, that our countries would fight, even if NATO was invaded. And I, I have severe reservations about the possibility of that happening. In relation to the, 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 the climate change um, charade, I would call it, um, we're shooting ourselves in the foot by it. You know, a, a great deal of the damage has been done. The great deal of the energy crisis comes from this hunt for zero em emissions. And from in Britain, for example, closing diesel-powered and coal-fired uh, power stations and not embarking on new nuclear projects for many years. I think that's really been damaging. And of course, we shouldn't forget that, uh, that a lot of this has been funded. A lot of the climate movement, the environmental movement has been funded by Russia and will and undoubtedly is also being funded by China. So I think, I think uh, you know, we, we, need, we need to be very careful <coughs> in the current situation about going too far down that path. We've gone too far already, in my view. General Nauman. Shortly, please. Yeah, well, uh, just one usual objection. <laughs> yeah. uh, Richard, Overruled. You said, yeah, you said uh, you have your doubts about the will to fight. Yeah. I think we should, we should tell all our politicians time and again, if we give up this principle, one for all and all for one, then NATO has lost. So we have to fight for this. Indeed. Professor Rosenthal, uh, your perspective on this, and also to what degree... Uh, does the um, uh, European obsession, but also Dutch obsession in particular, uh, about reaching this zero emission at the expense also of its own citizens, um, drive the energy prices upwards? This obsession is indeed there. And uh, I should say that when it is about energy and the coming winter, my feeling is, intuition is, that the population at large in Europe is not yet up to it and is still in a state of sort of denial. And this is also strengthened by the fact that when it is about energy prices, which are going sky high for the coming months, they are immediately being compensated by the government. So 
there is a lot of there are a lot of problems at hand for the for the months to come. Uh, with regard to the question about the energy situation as such, uh, I remember vividly I was just the Minister of Foreign Affairs and one of my first surprises was with Bundeskanzler Merkel who gave up on nuclear energy because of the uh, Fukuyama thing. One of her big mistakes. Exactly. And we are still hanging on on that. And that is very troublesome. President Klaus? Well, several issues. First, I, I would like to say that we, we have to start disagree a little bit. Uh, General, I, I, I can't accept your, your statement that no way to negotiate with Putin. You think it's necessary permanently to fight, fight to, to increase deliveries of weapons. I, I think that's not the only possibility how to, how to move forward. We have to start negotiations, and it's uh, it's clear that the negotiations can't be between Ukraine and Russia. The negotiations must be between the West and Russia. So that's my first statement. So I, I can't, this, this war mentality, I, I can't accept. Second, I, I agree fully with the idea that the, the European unity, which exists for the time being, but I would say that it's very fragile. The heterogeneity of, of the European continent is evident. Six decades of integrating Europe didn't succeed in in changing the in creating the homogeneity of Europe. So I expect that uh, that some events, including the, the freezing uh, during the <coughs> winter, can change the unity in Europe very very easily. And finally, the climate issue: shall we return to it or, or not? Very know? briefly. Very briefly. So I. Uh, Fifteen years ago, I wrote my book about blue, not green planet, which is a fundamental attack on the on the irrationalities of the green movement in Europe and America. So I think it's a nonsense to fight CO2 emissions, and therefore all what happened in Europe, including Angela Merkel's decision to make the Energiewende, are tragic mistakes, which tragic. helped to create the instability of the current world. The statements obviously warrant a short response from uh, General Nauman. Uh, I think you thoroughly misunderstood me. If if I wanted, if I, I didn't want to say, we have to in, remain entrenched in our foxhole and fight until the last bullet. I know that every war has to come to an end by negotiations, mm -hmm. but I wanted to stress. But we have to say that we have to yeah, we, mention we, that clearly. No problem with negotiations but the conditions for negotiations have to be met by Mr. Putin. And that means withdraw all your forces from Ukraine to the line of 24th of February. We just uh, remarked, obviously, the, the issues of energy, which uh, should be even more expended upon, nevertheless. Uh, I'd like to touch on the fact that uh, the significant reliance on Russia ultimately is currently still prevailing when it comes to European reliance on China and vice versa. To what degree, especially uh, after last month we saw the meeting of the head, uh, uh, the leadership meeting of the European uh, Union coming together and discussing uh, the matter of uh, a united approach vis-a-vis -vis 
China. And then subsequently, we see uh, President of Germany Olaf Scholz traveling to Xi Jinping for a grandiose meeting on deliberating, uh, deepening cooperation and, and uh, development, one of the two leading nations in this uh, union of sorts. Uh, General Naumann, uh, could you explain to us this paradox? Well, um, you should not expect me to criticize in an international forum the German government. As a German citizen, I'm not entirely enthusiastic about the uh, trip of Chancellor Scholz, not the president, Chancellor Scholz, um, who went to, to China to offer his kotal to the new uh, emperor of the Middle Kingdom. <laughs> uh, but um, on the other hand, we cannot deny that the entire world depends economically on China. We cannot deny that China developed a very ambitious strategic concept to be the world's most important power by the year of 2029, the 100th uh, anniversary of the People's Republic. We should never forget that uh, President Xi Jinping himself called the takeover of the harbor of Piraeus which is in much better shape since the Chinese are there than it was before, uh, the head of the Chinese dragon sleeping in Europe. So mm. that indicates what he has in mind. And uh, we have to find a way to talk to China. That is the one excuse for Chancellor Schulz's trip. It's definitely time to talk to him. And uh, on the other hand, we have to reduce our dependence on China without cutting all ties. There is no way of returning to the old world of nationalistic uh, ambitions and of national autonomy. It's, it's too late. We cannot turn the wheel back. But we have to find a reasonable way which allows economic well-being of all our nations and which prevents China from being a dominant despot who tells us what to do and what not to do. Well, I think if you go to the United States today, you will see among many big investors and companies uh, some thinking about decoupling somehow from China. In the last 20 years, growth has been basically fundamented on the offshoring of our manufacturing capacities to China. We discovered dramatically with the COVID how strong was our dependence and how weak we were in face of the Chinese and the government decisions. And I think we need to rebalance somehow our trade, our financial dealings with uh, China. The problem is that in the current economic crisis, that we are moving to a recession and probably, unfortunately, to a stagflation as well in the, in the, in the coming year, reassuring our production capability from China back to our nations you're going to create more economic problems at home in the short term. Whether the public and the leaders are able to buy that and swallow the, the economic impact in the short term is an open question. But uh, given the weak leadership we have in Europe nowadays and in America, I, I wouldn't expect uh, any movement sincerely that would change the situation. Maybe the upcoming winter could serve as a good training before such Yeah, a we, 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 we need something to shake us a little bit in order Indeed. to react. Unfortunately. Colonel Kemp? I agree with General Nauman that um, we, we have to recognize the, 
the fact that we are, you know, whether we like to be or not, we are very, very dependent on China. But we don't have to become more dependent on China. We should become less dependent on China, and we should do the decoupling that he mentioned. And I, I think I'm allowed to criticise the German government around this table. <laughs> um, I think so. Feel but, free. <laughs> I mean, ger ger the German government, I think, last month agreed to giving China a 25% stake in mm -hmm. the port of Hamburg. 24.9, please. I beg your pardon, Herr General. Um, but uh, the 24.9% stake. But, uh, and that, that, you know, it's not just, it's, this is not just an economic issue. It's a strategic, strategic issue. And it's, it's a part of the Europe's critical national infrastructure. And I think, you know, Britain was going down that road as well until COVID. And I think we're now, I hope we're now drawing our horns back from... Well, uh, RAF... Uh Royal Air Force uh, fighter pilots are currently instructing the Chinese uh, uh, pilots how to defeat their own pilots back home. So I'm not sure how that uh, yeah, serves the purpose. Yeah, but that's not, that's retired uh, okay. RAF pilots who um, are looking to earn a few yen, but it's not government policy, certainly. And, and the government's also, actually looking at trying to prevent and that. Also, I agree with your criticism, Richard. I wonder where the cries of the Europeans were when Perius was taking over, right. when Genova was taking right. over, when Antwerp was taking over, and when the Israeli port of Haifa <coughs> was taking over. Absolutely. Professor Rosenthal, your thoughts on this? I, I vividly remember, too, you know, when we were in this first phase of COVID and we went for vaccinations, etc., there was this sudden urge for self-sufficiency on the European end. And I think that that sort of things are illusions. We have these ties with, with these connections with China and we can't do away with it. Decoupling is another story. And I think that would be the, the right track. Uh, at the same time, when I look at China as such, it is often said that for the Chinese, the 19th century was a century of humiliation. The 20th century is the, was the age, the century of recovery. And the 21st century is for Xi Jinping the century of hegemony. And we should not be soft. Uh, we, not, we should not be on the soft side on this. And I also remember once nobody less than Henry Kissinger, who completely miscalculated the ambitions of China on the long run. Indeed, Professor, uh, President Klaus, excuse me. I am professor. You are also <laughs> a professor, indeed, no, no, among no, others. Uh, first, I, uh, I, I must say that I am, in this group, I am the only one who lived under communism. When I look at, uh, at my life, so I was 60% of my today's age. Mm when there was a fall of communism in my country. So I am the last one who would defend communism in China, and uh, this is my own experience, not just reading about it somewhere. In this respect, I have a comparative advantage to use <laughs> the economic terminology. Nevertheless, I know that China is here, and China is here to stay. We should accept it, we shouldn't have wishful thinking, which I which I mm. see permanently in the in the in the in the political and economic debates in 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 Europe and in in America. I, I'm absolutely sure we can't we can't fight China. 
we have to be strong, efficient, uh, not dependent on China, but that's something else. And we have to, to try to recreate efficient economy. And efficient economy means not dependent on political decisions. It was the basis of communism that politics was before economics. And now we, with all the crazy green dean cell on and all of that, we are returning to something very similar to the centrally administered economy. So I, I think that our, our chance is to make our own transition, transformation. That's the only way how to do something rational and reasonable with China not fight it and not to make strong statements about it. It has absolutely no meaning. So I'd like to go back actually to Professor Rosenthal and ask uh, how should Europe at large and the Netherlands in particular react when China um, establishes police stations on Dutch soil and uh, utilizes that in order to uh, follow be. its own citizens and potentially also other reasons. We should be very, very strict on that. We should be fighting that. As for instance, in the UK, there has now been a report on these so-called Confucius Institutes, which have really infiltrated um, the UK universities, as they have done with us. Uh, I remember, I was a professor at Leiden University and at a certain moment I, I did uh, seminars on crisis management and at a certain moment I got 20 Chinese in my MA course. And what was happening was that they had their minders of course in this group. It was pure infiltration and we should fight that and we should not compromise on it. That's for sure. At the same time, when we talk and, uh, econ the economic side, the aggregates which are going on between Germany and China, Netherlands and, and China, it would ruin our economy and the German economy if you would do away with it. Indeed. So uh, where is the fine line, President Klaus? Fine line. I wouldn't say fine line, but uh, speaking about the uh, universities, tragic development of our universities. It's our own mistake. It's the self-made tragic mistake. It's not an export from China. How, how this all, the can, all those cancel culture and uh, all other crazy green ideologies and gender revolution, it's not an import from, from the East, it, neither from China nor from Russia. So we should start talking about our tragic mistakes and don't blame China for it. Well, so let, let me ask uh, this, and uh, it's Jules Verne who said, if there were no thunder, men would not be afraid of lightning. So what is the thunder necessary to bring that fear into man uh, that he may reevaluate <coughs> his own uh, European values within the con uh, construct of uh, what we uh, so much cherished and, and loved over the years? General Nauman? Well, I'm one of these old-fashioned guys who still believe that we came to the conclusion of a free, legal-based democracy after 300 years of bloody errors and wars in Germany. And we should not give up this order. We should fight for it. And we should tell our people time and again 
listen, this is the best order we ever had in our history. We should try to preserve it and to develop it. And we should not do it by fighting others, but by telling others, listen, this is our way. And if you want to learn from our mistakes, please look at it, have a careful look. And having said this, I think we should try to work together to the extent possible with all other nations, including China. And we should cooperate with them and try to avoid confrontation. Uh, war is no solution for all of us, nor for Europe, nor for the United States, nor for China. We have still a chance, but we should stick to our values and defend them. Nevertheless, when we're looking at the European uh, construct, and specifically also the European Union as an alliance, uh, we're talking about a, a beautiful thought, a beautiful uh, construct that was initially founded and then lost its way at some point where it became more and more centralized, where it started to adopt all kind of, I'm sorry to say, but communist ideals and Marxist ideologies. And ultimately, when it's speaking about values and norms, all I hear within those values and norms is the cancel culture and wokeism, rather than the founding ideologies uh, which Europe was founded upon, including the European Union, which are the Judeo-Christian fundamentals. Uh, so where did it go wrong and what should be done in order to reevaluate this construct altogether? Well, I think, I think, uh, let, me, let me make a little digression here. Two years ago when the COVID started in China, I saw on TV the, the first images of people walking, pedestrians, taking into a bag and throwing a van, like kidnapped uh, because they were fearful of being positive on an area of COVID. And I thought, sitting on my couch, well, that would never happen in Europe. A week later, we were confined and we were subjected to the same treatment of the Chinese everywhere in Europe, everywhere in America. So my point here is that our Western civilization, unfortunately, become more Sino or China nificated than before. The government has took advantage of the COVID to rely on technologies that never were used against the privacy of the citizen. I think that the dictatorship soul of many democratic governments has emerged dramatically, and that's the value we have to, to fight. No? I think I, we, we need to recover the liberal tradition of tolerance, freedom, <coughs> citizenship, privacy, because I think we lost that overnight in the last two years. Or basically, we are in the, in the march of following what China is doing to their own citizens than what we thought Montesquieu could have done with us two centuries ago. Colonel Kemp, is Brexit the only way? Brexit is the only way, unfortunately. I'm sorry to say that, but um, I'm afraid that the, you know, the EU has played a hugely significant role in creating wokeism, cancel culture, etc., and has been undermining national identity and patriotism in countries. And I think, yeah, I mean, I, I know General Nauman is of the view that if we don't stand together, in, in the EU, then you know, we become divided and we become weaker. But I, I believe that strength is based much more on national identity than it is on, on some kind of made-up European construct. And I think that, that that has contributed to the, 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 the problem, the weakness that we face today. And I, I also, I would, I would slightly disagree, President Klaus, with um, the, the idea that we shouldn't blame Russia and China for some of this, because we should. 
in my view, I, I believe that this goes back many, many years. Russia has invested vast amounts of money since the Soviet days in undermining Western society in Europe and in America. And I think that continues today, and I think China is also involved. So we should blame ourselves for not stopping it, but we should also recognize, I think, that, that a lot of our cancel culture and wokeism comes from, um, from authoritarian countries that want to, want to bring us down and weaken us. One reaction? Just one sentence. Don't uh, blame me for supporting the European Union. I support Europe. I don't blame you, General. Well, in my country, there is a lot of discussion, of course, about Europe versus European Union or and European Union. And with the younger generation, the idea, the original idea about the EU has been lost, which was that the European economic community was there to be in order to prevent wars between Germany and France. Indeed. That was where it started. It was achieved. And, yes, and it was achieved. So that is quite something to achieve. At the same hand, at the same time, when we look at Europe as such, we are talking European values. And we should defend them. And we should encourage people to defend them. And we see in our country and in other countries in Europe, Unfortunately, also, some currents which are not that much on this kind of notion of democracy, uh, tolerance, privacy and what have you. So there is a lot to be done. And I would also say that um, when, I, when I look at, for instance, my country, um, it is definitely true that our political leaders are continuously under pressure from people who say, well, this kind, this notion of liberal democracy, what, what does it bring us? So to defend European values, democratic values, is of the greatest importance for, for the years to come. President Klaus, I'd like to hear you. You were amongst those who, who rejected or opposed uh, the accession of uh, the Czech Republic into the European Union at a time because you believed that it would uh, impede national sovereignty to a certain degree. Is this still your opinion today? Yeah. On the contrary, I, I must admit that I was the one who, as Prime Minister, wrote a letter and brought it to Brussels to ask for EU membership. Corrected. So that was my Indeed. my my role in this. I I signed the the the, the entry entry document in it was in Athens in the rotating presidency. So in this respect, I am I should be blamed by by the <laughs> radical anti-Europeanist. On the other hand, we had no other chance. We were not in a luxury situation of Switzerland or Norway. We were a post-communist country and not to do it at that moment when I, January 96, I brought the letter to, to, to Brussels about asking for membership to say don't, we don't want to be members of the EU would be that we want to be together with Lukashenko or Milosevic. It, it was absolutely impossible. So I, I could be blamed for that. Nevertheless, that's true. May I, I am, 
I was always disagreeing with the radical switch of the European construct from the original, the term integration, to something what I, not having a better term, I call unification. So we mm. have switched from integration to unification, losing national identities and, and many such things. But one point, uh, may I return to one issue, uh, undermining Western society from China and Russia, that was the issue that was here. I think what how Russia and China is undermining Western society is a marginal influence as compared to how we ourselves undermine Western society. We in my institute, we published recently a book with the title Self-Destruction of the West. You know, I am absolutely sure that we live in a self-destructed West. We and we should do something with this problem. We can't influence the, the voting at the Chinese Communist Party Congress last, last week or two weeks ago, but we can change what we are teaching our children and so on and so on. Something, let's do something at home. So, therefore, I stress self-destruction of the West. Well, wokeism may be uh, the course to self-destruct, but uh, General Naumann... Just one sentence to, uh, of reaction. I agree with you, we should start to at our own doors and make sure that we do not make mistakes. But we should not forget, and there I support Richard, that, for instance, the French election was heavily supported by Russia in order to promote Mrs. Le Pen. That is something we should not do. And we should tell the Russians and the Chinese that's not the way of cooperation. And yet it happens time and again. Uh, we have roughly uh, three minutes and, and 40 seconds. Uh, let's recommend today's leaders and the people at home that they may also <coughs> communicate these points to their leaders. What should we focus on and what should we tell our leaders today uh, in the situation of uh, present day? General Nauman, we'll start with you. Well, I repeat my, my main point in this discussion. We should convince our youth that we have found a solution for living together, which is second to none. And that is the solution in which the individual freedom is protected by the rule of law, and for that we have to fight. Dr. Bardaki? Very briefly, I think in the old adage, no? we want security, prosperity, and freedom. That we, I will ask from any government, and no more than that. I prefer to be left alone. No? <laughs> okay, fair enough. Colonel Camp? Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to comment slightly less, sort of, uh, broadly. And I think, I think the, as I said uh, at the beginning, I think the key challenges really that with us today are um, remain you know, uh, China, Ukraine, the Russia, Ukraine, and Iran, and I think it's it's incumbent on our leaders to stand up um, <coughs> to to fight against these threats. And 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 I would just single out we haven't really discussed it on this we haven't. occasion, but Iran is is about to become a nuclear armed state because we are facilitating that. And I think that's that kind of in some ways an illustration of our naivety and weakness that we uh, show to too many of these autocratic regimes. So I think Iran is one area that they should focus on. Indeed. Professor Rosenthal? Uh, following up on that, um, 
Let me say that uh, I often hear now about Russia being cornered and isolated in the world. I think that is a typically Western bias. When I look at the world at large, you see that China, India, South Africa, no, Iran, they are, at least in the General Assembly of the United Nations, for instance, they didn't vote against the anti-Russia resolution. My appeal, not so much to the population as well as to the diplom diplomats on our side, is to invest in getting these kind of countries, India, South Africa, etc., on board, so that we indeed can say to Mr. Putin that he is more or less on his own. Indeed. Well, uh, I can reinforce that by saying that uh, Armenia and Azerbaijan didn't go to Washington to get the negotiations, but they went to Sochi for that. President Klaus, your thoughts? I am not a rebel. I, I spent the last 30 years in politics, so I am not asking for making a revolution. Nevertheless, it's absolutely necessary that the dissatisfaction of European citizens, of citizens of our countries, must be must be shifted to political activities and we have to move from a post-democracy to a normal political democracy again. We, we have to create normal political parties, not just crazy movements and, and so on. So Indeed. no rebellion, no revolution, but, but a fundamental systemic change political activism uh, indeed. Well, this is all the time that we have for today. Thank you so much, General Klaus Naumann, Dr. Rafael Bardachi, Colonel Richard Kemp, uh, Professor Uri uh, Rosenthal, and President Václav Klaus. Thank you so much. And I'd mm -hmm. like to thank all of our viewers today as well. And we will see you next time for yet another episode of TV7 Europa Stands. Thank you for joining us in another TV7 Israel podcast. For more content, visit our website at tv7israelnews.com or follow us on social media.